And uh, as you get settled back in, I'm going to invite Jeff Smith to come up here. And uh, Jeff's going to read our scripture reading this morning. Uh, we are reading from the book of Exodus. We are back into the lectionary, um, and so we'll talk more about that over the, the uh, weeks and months ahead. But this morning's passage comes to us from Exodus, and uh, I think it's chapter 3, if I recall. So let's pay attention to that, and we'll hear the word of the Lord this morning. This is Exodus 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. Moses was keeping a flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of a fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign, sign for you that is who I sent, to, sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeff. All right, I'm going to just grab my chair. It looked like I was coming up to give Jeff a hug, which I would be happy to do, but that would probably be confusing for everyone. Um, Jeff, thank you for reading that. Hey, I want to, uh, <laughs> I love the first service, it's great. I want to commend to you all uh, this book. If you do not have it, this is the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. Um, there is a newer version that has a different cover on it. This is my tried and true version, but uh, basically there are, you know, something like 290 pages of spiritual practices in here, along with quotes and ways to engage. And uh, we'll talk about spiritual practices this morning. And uh, it's one of the, the things that I love is that God has creatively given us a vast amount of tools to lean into creating space with God. And uh, many of them are... Uh, things that correspond and correlate well to our personalities, and some are not. And so, you know, we find, how do I connect with God in the unique ways God has made me? And that may or may not be some of the traditional ways we tend to think about things like prayer or worship or service. And so uh, that handbook is just a really fantastic resource in expanding our imaginations of new ways that we can meet with God. 
All right, so let's get into it. Um, We will get to that Exodus passage here toward the end of this morning, but I want to begin by taking us back to where we left off last week. We were looking at the example of the early church in Acts chapter 2, and uh, we looked at the the passage uh, from verse 42 through 47 that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the community and to their shared meals and their prayers. And of course, that's our core verse for house church. Um, It helps guide us into this idea of spending much time together in the temple sort of context and then also breaking bread at home, eating food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number. And so we're operating under this trust that as we follow that example, uh, really meaningful things will begin to happen. And, uh, And so what is fascinating to me as I look at that passage is that what emerges out of the incredible, miraculous, powerful, supernatural Pentecost event, God himself coming down on the early church, what emerges out of that is something quite ordinary. We are not given a method for miracle working, and we are not given a formula for explosive church growth, though they see that for a while. Uh, We are not given answers to every theological question. Instead, what emerges is a way of living that shapes a community. And uh, we still walk in that sort of tradition today, a way of living that makes a community. And I want to just draw us for a moment to the utter simplicity of what we see here. You know, their shared meals and their community and their prayers and their teaching and they're just loving God and neighbor in the midst of the normal everyday course of life. It's a life that is both spontaneous and also very disciplined. It's supernatural, but it's very normal. And the thing underneath all of this that fuels this life is spiritual practices. If we look at this passage, we start by noticing that they are devoted to this. This is not a casual commitment. This is not a, ah, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll do this if it fits into my schedule. This is something they've made a devoted part of their heart to. They've created a commitment internally to say, yeah, this matters to me. And then they practice it day by day. You see twice in that last paragraph, day by day. They are walking this way together, and over the course of time, these core practices became a rule of life for this new community. They formed this groove so deep that they become followers of the way. Uh, That's what they were called, the teaching and the prayers and the breaking of bread and the giving sacrificially for the sake of others, the living in uncommon unity, prioritizing that over getting every single detail all in agreement. They instead agree to share a life together. And so this is a way that shapes us. It shapes our inner journey with God. It shapes our outer journey with our neighbors and others. And it's a way that radically impacted how the early church understood almost every category of life. They start thinking differently all of a sudden about their friends and their enemies and who is on the inside and who is on the outside and what is my relationship with money and politics and worship and God and myself. All of it gets changed, but underneath all of that profound, significant, substantial change is the utter simplicity of just spiritual practices. They're just walking this way day after day after day. And so this ministry year, we want to return to some of the basics together as a community. We've spent the last year walking through this giant, broad, sweeping story of God's work in the world, and now we just return to some fundamentals. 
the mission statement of our church has always been, and I don't say this very often anymore, but we've, we've never changed it. It's just there in the ethos of who we are as a community. We are growing in Christ and practicing Christ's way of life. And so we're really going to focus on that idea of practicing the way of life that Jesus teaches us. And we'll do that by each month, like I said, focusing on one spiritual practice to try uh, together, to experiment with, to lean in on. And, and I hope that we can have that playful sort of posture with this. Um, some of the great saints had ways of just playing a game with God. Oh, let me try this with God and see what happens. You know? and, and so we can take the pressure off and see how does God meet us as we make space for him. And that's ultimately what we want to do, is to trust that what was true for the early church is true for us, that if we will simply make space for God, God will reshape the other elements of our lives. And so today what I want to do is spend a few minutes just talking about spiritual practices broadly, generically. What is a spiritual practice? How does this work? Um, how do we lean into them? And then we're going to zoom in specifically at the end of our time on the September practice of prayer. So first of all, what is a spiritual practice? Uh, we've already talked about this, that at its core, these are just simple habits that help us make room. You know, Ellie led us in that song, I will make room for you, God. And I love how John Mark Comer says it, that these practices help us be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. I so wish I had come up with those three phrases. Like, <laughs> nails it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing right there. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And, uh, and so that's what a spiritual practice helps us create space to do. We can't magically make ourselves, uh, you know, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. What we can do is create space for Jesus to change us more and more into his image so that those things begin to organically flow out of us. And so we talk about the idea of spiritual formation often around here, which I think y'all are pretty immersed in this, right? That, that one of the things we value as a church community is that following Jesus is not primarily about punching a ticket to heaven. It's not primarily about adopting certain morals or behaviors, but not really seeing any heart change. It's not primarily about mental assent to specific theological beliefs. Instead, what this is about is life with God. It is about living in the presence and company of Jesus. Keep company with me, Jesus says, and you'll learn to live. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live. I need to learn to live. So often I don't know how to live. And so we keep company with Jesus. We start to become like Jesus in this life, not just the next life, but right here and now God's life begins to be born with us. And so that passage that uh, was read earlier from Matthew, you know, we walk with Jesus, we come to Jesus, we work with Jesus, we watch how Jesus does it, and we learn his way. But the rub is that to learn the way of Jesus is not something we can simply add on to the life we already have. We have to unlearn things as well. There are ways of being that I have made commitments to that I have already devoted myself to long before Jesus enters the scene. And I have to unlearn those ways if I'm going to take on his ways. And so there are some core commitments I've made. There are some allegiances I have made. And most of them are subtle and subconscious. And so Jesus is going to confront those things in order to invite us into his way of living. But that's going to require some uncomfortability. We're going to have to be retrained and reformed and revalued uh, 
I made, up, made up that word. I don't think that's a word, but I think it's critical, right? How, how do I get revalued the things that I value in the world? That's going to take practice, and so hence spiritual practices, these basic tools to create space. So these are not the add-ons for the particularly pious amongst us, right? These are the core disciplines of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And here's how I think this often, at least in my life, works, is that Jesus comes knocking on the door of my heart in some particular area, and I start to notice it, right? Like slowly I catch on. Oh, that's the third time that something has happened that reveals X about the condition of my heart. And he's knocking on the door of a particular theme or place in my life, but simultaneously, God's Spirit begins giving a glimpse of what greater wholeness might look like or what the invitation into a new way of being is looking like. So I'm being invited into something. And it's at this point that we need a way to respond to God while remembering that willpower alone is not the the way forward. That's not going to cut it. And so this is what the gift of a spiritual practice is all about. It is a way of just offering God space in response to what God has already begun in my life. And we pick a tailored practice. We start flipping through the spiritual disciplines handbook or we start paying attention. Jesus, what are you inviting me into that might be in conjunction with what you are already inviting me into? How do I create space that is in incongruence with the things that you're already trying to do in my life so that I can say yes to that? And so let's say I have an overly filled, busy life. Just picking this example out of random. Don't, don't think about it too much. Let's just, let's just say someone were to be busy and full in life and over time start to feel like, ah, I just need to create more space to hear from God. You know, because there's a lot of noise. And Jesus invites me to come to him and see how he does it. And I start to notice how Jesus goes away to be with the Father. Jesus creates space. Jesus knows how to take a real rest. I hear take a real rest and I think, how do I get on a three-month vacation? But that's not often the way forward. Instead, what I need is a practice in the midst of daily life. And so I begin to practice silent prayer at a couple times a day, you know, over my lunch break over coffee in the morning or in the evening before I lay down. I try to lean into the practice of Sabbath to create some space. I move Twitter off my phone uh, so that I'm not distracted by my impulse to escape because the more busyness is in our life, the more we want to just feed that escape mechanism. Uh, We need to instead move into the silence. So as I mow the lawn and as I do the dishes, I'm noticing how Jesus is coming to me in the midst of the mundane things of life. And so we simply pay attention. Jesus, what's the right tool you're inviting me into using that I might respond to you? And then we make a day-by-day commitment to use that for a season. And that's often the hard part. Uh, And then we we devote ourselves to it. I love this uh, quote from Henry Nouwen. Um, I love every quote from Henry Nouwen. Uh, We we often, I've been using the, the phrase spiritual practice, but classically it's called spiritual disciplines. Right? And that word discipline is important because that's not a word that, that's, that, I don't know, we don't use words like that anymore. It sounds too gruff. But Nowen says discipline follows from being a disciple. It is our effort to do as our master does. Jesus gave space for the Father to give him what he needed. When you and I are fearful and anxious, we want to take control of our lives. When we follow Jesus, we practice a discipline that gives space to let the Father touch us, forgive us, and receive us. Like Jesus, we need to be available. I love this. We need to be home. We must have an address if we want to be addressed. 
We must be home in order to receive a guest or receive God. So disciplines are ways of creating space, a home within, where God can come into our lives to forgive, to heal, and to bring important gifts. And so there is truth to the old adage that practice makes perfect. You know, you guys have all probably seen my son Noah running around with his baseball uniform on. He's always wearing his baseball uniform. He got a new one with his last name on the back of it. So like there's a little Warner running around our house everywhere he goes. He wears it constantly because he plays baseball constantly because he loves baseball and he wants to be a great baseball player. He's beginning a disciplined life of imitation. He watches the, the highlights and then he recreates them. Right? And this is what we do about anything that we want to become like, anything worth giving our life to. If you want to be a great musician or a great speaker or a great surgeon or a great athlete, it is in the practice. Success at the critical moment depends on the unseen hours of practice that have been sown in secret in order to be the kind of person who can respond to that critical moment. Right, so y'all remember the whole thing about what would Jesus do that swept our world like 20 years ago? Everybody had the bracelets. Love that idea. What would Jesus do? It would be world-changing if we all could respond that way. But the flaw in the logic is that I can just suddenly respond like Jesus would without devoting my life to the kinds of things Jesus devoted his life to. Right? I would just think, oh, yeah, that person cut me off in traffic. What would Jesus do? Well, I can't respond like Jesus if I have not formed the kind of heart conditions that Jesus formed in order to respond the way he did. We simply cannot be the sorts of people who turn the other cheek or forgive our enemies. Like the deep practices of, of what it means to be like Jesus, we simply cannot do unless for years and years we've been turning over space to Jesus that we might have different values and different approaches and different responses. And so, again, that's the gift of spiritual practices. Uh, I want to be clear, these are not our ways of doing enough or earning our way. I love how Willard has it that earning is never part of our spiritual life, but that does not mean that effort is not part of our spiritual life. There are efforts that, that require great intentionality. We do them in the light of the belovedness we've already received. In the light of how deeply loved I am, I can offer a practice to God that does not need to have strings attached because I know I'm loved. I know I'm loved. All right, let me spend a few final minutes on prayer and then uh, we'll wrap this up. Um, yeah, prayer. Uh, this Exodus passage is a great passage to base us in prayer, because prayer is what happens when we walk through the deserts of life in the midst of our ordinary living, and then suddenly we encounter something ablaze that we didn't see coming. And it's something more real than we can understand. And we encounter God there. And so Moses walking through the desert and seeing this burning bush that is burning but is not consumed, which, by the way, I think is a, a foreglimpse to the lamb that is slain but still standing, Right? This thing should be uh, killed, but it is not killed. And, and that's God. And so God shows up in this new way that is mysterious and inexplicable and holy and confounding and intimate and deeply personal. And of course, not every moment in prayer strikes us this way. If it does for you, <laughs> wonderful. For me, most of the time, prayer feels quite ordinary. But over the course of it, and, and there are moments that feel very much like a blaze burning 
right? But, but over the course of standing under that glow, standing under that light, in the course of time, we speak to God and God speaks to us and we begin to change. And so Moses slips off his shoes and the holy and the human intersect and God discloses to Moses something Moses could not have known otherwise. That is the fundamental essence of prayer. And it gives Moses this new way to show up in the world, to go about his work. But ultimately, prayer is not about the results it produces, and this is where I think we get our mistake often. I need X to happen in my life, so let me pray about it. That's fine, that's all well and good, but way, way, way below that is simply being with God for, that, for its own sake. Intimacy, presence, loving union with God. That's at the heart of prayer. And so Moses just lingers for a while in this revelation of God's presence to him. He doesn't walk away with a question answered or a problem solved. He simply walks away as one who has been with God. And the pond in his life gets settled as a result of that. And so in prayer, we learn to speak to God, and then we learn to be silent. And we learn to get all the stuff off our chest so we can finally breathe again. And so I want to encourage us this month as we practice prayer to, first of all, just decide what does a discipline of prayer look like for me? And then become a researcher of your own heart and observe and notice yourself. Notice how you both yearn for God and hide from God. Notice how you hunger for prayer and stiff-arm prayer, right? I tend to tell myself, oh, I'm just busy, but I found plenty of time to eat and sleep, right? I think it's deeper. I think the reason we stiff-arm prayer is because, ah, oh, I have to be seen. And to be seen, to be exposed, to be known, that's a little unsettling. That's a blaze that scares me. I have to get silent, and silence terrifies me. Maybe I don't really trust that I'm loved. And so what I want to invite us to do is just close our eyes here for a moment. And just uh, as we close, I want to guide us into an imaginative thing here because we cannot pray until we trust God loves us. We, we simply will not show up to a God who we are not convinced is safe and for us. We will have to put up a lot of defenses and layers. And so imagine for a moment that you are standing in a room and there are a thousand eyes on you. Some of us are already squirmish and others of us, the, the more narcissistic in the bunch, myself included, are like, all right, that's great. Love being the center of attention. But now imagine all 1,000 of those eyes are eyes of scrutiny and judgment. And you feel seen, but not in a good way. Feel how that feels. And now imagine the opposite. What if all of those eyes fixed on you were eyes of deep love and safety. Imagine feeling deeply secure and connected and safe and real and see how that feels.
which of those two is closer to your experience of prayer? And whatever the answer may be for you, what do you sense God invites you into with that? What, what invitation does he have for you? In the light of how does it feel to you to be known and seen? Jesus says we lean into prayer. Help us to be people who increasingly really believe in our hearts that you are for us. That your eyes are not the eyes of scrutiny and disappointment, anger and judgment, but your eyes are the eyes of love, kindness, Yes, holy fire. But that we are safe and can be connected to you. And I pray this month that you would give us imagination for how we can pray in our life and also how all of our life can be understood as prayer. And would you give us imagination for prayer not requiring the excruciating effort that we often feel that it does. Help us to revel in what it means to just simply be with you. All this we pray in Jesus' name.